electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's the Disney dilemma. The stock rising even as Comcast outdoes its bid for Fox. Should the mouse house dump the deal, the traders will weigh in. Plus, Bitcoin and Ethereum soaring after the SEC gives the green light for the cryptocurrencies. We'll explain what it all means for the crypto trade. And from Wall Street to the crypto universe, we talked to one trader who left a high-paying job at Goldman Sachs to become a full-time investor in Bitcoin. But first, we start the show with something a little different tonight. It is the house that Jack built. Jack Dorsey, <laughs> that is. Both Twitter and Square on fire today, now up 95 and 84 percent, respectively. This year alone, the two stocks have been dominating even their biggest tech rivals. So does Jack's empire have more room to run? And as the Nasdaq makes record highs, is smaller tech your best bet? Guy. Yes, is the short answer. Wow. I mean, Jack's great tune, by the way. I mean, I, what I don't was know. that? You were, we were tapping your foot, man. Well, I that, you, no, I don't see you say that. I see his feet from there. Why? <laughs> Back and to the people question. believe it. I'm not tapping anything, by the way. Back to the question. Yes, Sorry. you can own Jack stocks. I mean, you look at Square. People say valuation, 82 times forward earnings, crazy expensive. Now, when it's growing, it's 70 percent EPS growth. So I would say Square has a lot of runway left, without question. David will disagree with me, and we've fought about this for a while. But Twitter, which has now doubled over the last year. Could it potentially double again? I think there's a shot. I mean, Twitter is now, people are figuring out that Twitter, it's not about daily active users, not about monthly active users. It's about the fact that it's news dissemination and it's become one of the most popular mediums out there. Is this partly media frenzy, media buying frenzy in Twitter right now? Well, first of all, the fact that large advertisers are backing Twitter is very important. Again, back to what Guy said, I mean, what Jack's doing here, he's proven that they can grow revenues, not just 10, 15, we're talking 25 to 30 percent over the last couple quarters and expectations are such, and DAU growth daily active users is in double digits for six straight quarters. So the metrics are actually very strong. And at a time when, whether it's Netflix, whether it's, you know, the other forms of distribution out there, this is a media company with massive distribution. Well, the one thing that Jack has proven to us is he can run two companies and be the CEO. And, you know, I, I was one of the people yeah. that probably said, listen, you can't ride two horses, one took us, Jack. But he did it. He proved what? it to us. Uh, yeah, you uh, can't uh, do that. Now he's riding two horses. With one what? With, with took us. One took us. Yeah. People okay. will know what I'm talking about. Industry term. None, nonetheless, that is an industry, industry term. term. Nonetheless, Jack has proved, he showed us that he can do that. And then if you look at these two companies and take kind of a bigger picture step back, you know, are you really going to stop using Twitter if there's a trade war? Are you going to stop using Twitter if, the, if Europe is slowing down? No, you're going to continue to use Twitter. You're going to continue to swear. So that goes to, yeah, the smaller cap names in general will probably do better in this macro environment. I get what you're saying, but I'm going to push back because if there is a trade war, if there is a slowdown of any sort, the advertising dollars are going to slow down, and the small business usage of Square might slow down as well. So those are two things that well, could Well, maybe, both or maybe not, right? If your business no is slowing down, maybe you say, you know what, i got to advertise a little bit more. Look, I, I'd say Square in particular, there's competition that's going to heat up a little bit. So the stock's had a tremendous move. Look, I agree. This is Of, of the two, I'd say I'd own Square over Twitter. Twitter still, they're losing market share in the most valuable market in the U.S., 
They're losing market share. To who? Period. To Facebook. To, what? to there's everybody. No, there's else. no comps. The, listen, there's here, nothing here's close to it. You look at Facebook. Facebook's growing their top line 40%. Twitter's growing their top line 16%. You look at the you know EV to sales. You got Twitter trading at roughly 11 and a half times. You got Facebook trading at. Yeah, nine but Twitter times. and Facebook are two different but, but, web properties. Very different products. Different products. They're not very Gross different products. They're I both mean, monetized. It's based on ad growth, ad revenues, right? So you look at the the. the yeah, but that's I mean that's like saying a newspaper is the same thing as a Facebook. Can I ask you a question? Why would you medium. pay up? Why would you pay a premium multiple for a company that's not growing their top line? What are you, you keep saying this thing, but they're not growing. They're, they're growing not growing. Thirty. They're going to grow revenue. They're jacking ad loads. You have to, re guys. They're jacking, jacking ad, ad loads. loads. They're go the, when you look at when you look at the markets that they gained in. Right from an ad revenue perspective, they were international markets. Japan, in particular, that is not a valuable market when it comes down to it. Why? The value of that particular ad ad user or that You're particular market right? is not as solid as the United States. I've been a, I've been a shareholder. I've been a shareholder for a long time. I've been a shareholder when there wasn't six straight quarters of of double digit DAU growth. And I've been doing it at a time when there wasn't the, on the eve of the World Cup, which is going to be massive. And again, Twitter is global. It's as global as any of these platforms that we talk about. And, and say what you want about fake accounts. The people that are on Twitter are as committed. And if you consider, consider the engagement that goes on on Twitter, if you're anything like Guy Adami, you're spending way too much time on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. I mean, he's tweeting right I, now. You're I know tweeting he is. right he's now. Not let's hold him asking. We're engaging with the audience. And was that the fourth? Wall or something, something like I, that. I, I they call that whole yeah. thing. It is amazing understand. though to think that more than a year ago, Twitter was below fifteen, $15. bucks, and we're all lamenting. Jack Dorsey and saying, you know, what is Jack do you doing? Do right. He can't yeah. run two companies. He can't do this. It's dying. It won't even get in a, a We bitter. also made a comparison. And again, I'm not, listen, David makes excellent points about Facebook and why he'd rather own Facebook than Twitter. I get it. But what, one of the things we said is go back to the early days of Facebook. People were calling for Zuckerberg's head the first nine months to a year. You have breaking news. I can see it in your oh, face. Oh. Uh, we have some breaking news here on the AT&T Time Warner deal. So let's get to Seema Modi in the news for all the details. Seema. Hey, Melissa, here it is. AT&T and U.S. regulators agreed to end the waiting period to close on the Time Warner deal as early as tomorrow. According to this filing, AT&T is promising to put a firewall between Turner and CNN Communications. You're looking at Time Warner of 1.5%. AT&T shares are also on the move in extended trade. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. Uh, Tim, you're an AT&T shareholder. Yeah, so. look, again, and, and I'm an AT&T shareholder for probably... 12 to 15 months, where the stock's done a lot of different things. We're near the bottom, nine and a half times earnings with 45% wireless. I think they do have massive distribution, and I think this deal's good for them. I don't really understand why they're trading at the bottom now that we've done this deal when the deal was announced, actually, unless people have complete, completely changed their view, uh, which maybe they are. I mean, that's the conversation we've had over the last couple of days is bigger, better. AT&T today versus AT&T two weeks ago when the deal was in limbo. Do you like it better today? I like it better today because it's gone down, because that RBAP, it's really just RB activity, at least in my yeah, view. Yeah. You've seen the spread compress. You're seeing it more in the after hours here. So once that sell pressure, that spread compression is released, then I think, I mean, listen, they're buying them for, for a reason. They're buying them to become a growth company. So why wouldn't you like AT&T after the deal? All right. We'll have much more on this story in a minute, but let's get back to tech. Sitting at record highs. Our next guest says there are three names that have even more room to run. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Hi, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Uh, yeah, let's take a look at three good tech names to start. No surprise is Netflix um, in a beautiful uptrend parallel channel in 2018. And what I'm going to do is pull out a little Elliott wave. I think BK will appreciate this. Uh, we're going to look at a first push here. And what you're going to do is basically take the distance traveled right there and then project it up in the next ongoing trend wave. You take your Fibonacci multiple 
that's going to put you up around 415. I'll spare you the details. But what you're going to notice is that it corresponds with the upper part of that channel. So you've got a collision of technical levels that serves as resistance, but also a target. So I think that's going to push Netflix up through 400. I have this trade on. NVIDIA, I'm also long. Not as strong as a chart as Netflix, but but similar in that you take net distance traveled in that first push. If you compare that, let me get my line back. That's going to be symmetry, what they call a measured move. Percent change here is equal to this. That gives you 298 target. That occurs a lot often, a lot more than you think. It also corresponds with that upper channel. So when you get that coincidence of technical levels, it acts as a magnet. So I think NVIDIA's got 300 in the tank. And finally, we'll take a look at Tesla. I've done this chart uh, just a couple weeks ago here in the show. Same one. Beautiful breakout from this long base. We had the first push up, 34% decline yields a nice breakout. Then when the fundamentals of Tesla were really being questioned, Elon Musk was being taken to task, all that happened was a very symmetrical 37% decline. So when you look for the, the size of the corrections, you can kind of set a lot of the noise aside and, and, and scoop some, some really good value. So I do have the Tesla trade on, and I think we're going to continue up to new highs. This is the weekly, and if we go down to the daily, give you a little bit more view here, uh, get some granularity, you can see I'll do my best downtrend resistance. Keep in mind, this is the daily. We just came from the weekly. We We've broken through downtrend resistance. This is the line in the sand. Shorts were caught. Are you going to use that as a synthetic level to buy? Resistance becomes support. And as long as we hold just around this level at about 335, we should be able to clear up towards 400 in Tesla. I like this stock as well. So three good tech names to uh, continue to play this tech rally. You, you highlighted in Tesla, Todd, the 30-plus um, percent drawdowns the yep. past couple of times. Is that typically what the drawdown is? They seem to be sharper and closer together this time around. Well, we really haven't seen uh, – te- Tesla's been basing for a long period of time, and Tesla likes to show that kind of symmetry or rhythm. Stocks actually do trade with rhythm. And when you find a stock that's really well trading, you're going to see that it does show common you know, percent moves, and you can use that to kind of time your fundamental entry. Tesla's been range-bound for a long period of time, and we're finally getting that good good base, that good push up. So next time we do see a pullback, maybe from the 400 or 500 level, maybe again, look for that 30% decline. All right, Todd, thank you. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Which of these three picks, Guy, would you buy? Well, it's, it's, that's three of my faves, as you know. Really? But forced then to choose, them. would you rather, rather? Would you rather, rather? I think out of the three of those, Netflix to me still has the most upside. It's, I know it's preposterous to say it's $392, but they report, I think, the middle of July. And I don't know what's going to stop them along the way. By the way, and I'll say it again, I think all this, you know, Comcast, it's all about Hulu, in my opinion. Yeah, there are other things. I get it. But it, it's all about Hulu. It's all about competing with Netflix. And this just gives Netflix... That much more of a lead, in my opinion, which is why I think it continues to go higher. I completely agree with that. I mean, I love NVIDIA. I think that stock actually will do well. But Netflix is a clear winner, in my opinion, of these three. I still think there's a lot of momentum there. I mean, Reed Hastings has done an excellent job from, the, from a, a sub-B expectation game, playing that game. And I think that continues for a long time. They still have a tremendous amount of growth in international markets, and they are an original content owner. There's Netflix no one that can be. fan club right now. So Tim, yeah, yeah please. And, and I, you know, I'm the guy oh. that's been wrong about this. While these guys could gloat, do their victory laps. <laughs> Gloating? Guy, guy's got his moat, all no, this and that. By the way, this is, this is a company that has doubled, doubled since December. Okay, are you telling me that the world has changed that much that this company really should be trading at that much of a premium? And, and what you guys are doing is basically equating distribution with everything. Suddenly, how about when we were waiting for Netflix oh. to actually come up with some content? So they've won a couple Emmys. Do you think they really have the same content as the other two guys that are competing right now to get bigger? They're not even close. But Twitter's do you, do you turn on Netflix and have everything you want? 
Absolutely not. But Twitter's up 180. I mean, it's ridiculous. In the I mean, last and, and, the, and the valuation's ridiculous. And I don't think there is a moat. But you know, I've been wrong for three hundred. Twitter. You said Twitter. So, Twitter's Twitter's a buy, but that's what you're saying, not me. But it's up 180 percent in the last 12 months. So, I mean, I look at it and say, look at Netflix. I, I, I agree. The performance has been stellar. I just think the trajectory continues for very obvious reasons of why a growth manager will continue to own and buy the stock. So, for me, it's NVIDIA. It's a name that we own for the ETF, and that's because it supports the Ethereum mining ecosystem. And so, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies later, but the price of Ethereum go up generally means that you're going to sell more miners. It's, you know, it's a small portion of NVIDIA's business. What I also like about it is there's demand from other places in there, right? So it doesn't necessarily rely just Auto on one industry. AI, Auto, AI, gaming, all of these things, right? So you have multiple different demand drivers in this The ETF being BKC, of course, just yes. to clarify. BK right. has BKC. its own. BKC. How cool is that? You have your own ETF? No. No, I don't have my yeah, own Everybody ETF. should have yeah. one. Why shouldn't everybody have okay. one? How do you like that? What do we do today, Tim? Uh, I tell you, I continue to nibble at emerging markets. That's been kind of painful. The ECB's announcement today certainly gave the dollar a boost, but I think the fundamentals here are actually a lot better. Look at the VIX collapsing. I want to own these higher-risk markets right now. Banks, 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 especially the regional, continue to add. I know they've been so weak. Badly today. I know they have, and I like that. I like that, given the fact that they're still. Like you I like said, when your stuff trades. I badly? said, I said yesterday, <laughs> they're underweight by the hedge fund community. I do think this is just a rate sort of expectation game, and I, and I think the weakness is a buying opportunity. Well, I think you need to look at the bond market. I mean, the moves, the macro moves today were extraordinary. And if I look around the world and say, okay, where can I get yield versus German yields? It's here in the U.S., and that's, you know, for me, you look at something like a TLT. That means flattening, too. Yes, it does mean earth. flattening. Yep. Yeah. Coming up, from Goldman Sachs to Bitcoin, one trader making the jump, even though he says 90, 90% of crypto coins will be gone in the next five years. He'll explain why, why he is going all in. Plus, do you want tomorrow's biggest trading headlines today? Of course you do. A top strategist at Wells Fargo says he has three of them, and we will reveal them later this hour. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. With interest rates on the rise and the Fed announcing another rate hike, investors might expect a financial rally ahead, but not so fast. It is a buzzkill for the banks today. Take a look at the performance of just the big banks, J.P. Morgan, City, Bank of America, Wells, all in the red. This comes as the financial ETF, the XLF, has underperformed the broader market this year. So... Do the big banks have the big blues? And, Tim, you know, CCAR is just around the corner. We talk, two weeks away. And I, I, I do think the capital return between buybacks and dividend increases, banks are, are thirsty to be part of this trade as well. I also think that people are very selective. You can take any numbers you want over the last 18 months, and you can find some plenty of opportunity to say banks have actually outperformed. Certainly since the election, when Trump came into office, regulatory environment changed dramatically for banks. They've outperformed the S&P by 10%. How about that? They've been sideways over the last 18 months. Yes, year-to-date, they've underperformed, but I don't think holding banks has been so awful. J.P. Morgan in the first quarter had record revenues and record profitability. The consumer banking department is doing very well. Higher rates on LIBOR mean more profitability in home loans, auto, you name it. I like it. I think it's interesting that Tim brings up, depending on what time period you look at, because year-to-date, obviously, as we mentioned, they are underperforming. So, But at what point do you say, you know what, that outperformance, that was nice, but I need to cut my losses at this point. I need to move on to something else that's working right now this year. I think you have to sort of, for some of these names, you have to, well, J.P. Morgan, for example, has been fine. I mean, J.P. Morgan has not really gotten, given you that much over the last couple of months, but it hasn't really taken a lot from you. So I think J.P.M. is fine. The one I'd be the most concerned about, the one you have to look at and say, is something wrong, is Citibank, quite frankly. I mean, City now trading below book value, trading just above 
tangible book value. Maybe there's something going on there. I happen to think it's cheap, and I think there's a lot of upside in the name. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what's wrong with Citi? A sector we don't talk about a lot, though, that have really sold off the last couple of months. Insurers. Pru is a $125 stock in December. It's trading, I think, $93, $94 now. Just on valuation and, and rising rates, I think these are worth a look. Goldman Sachs just upgraded the name. Well, I think with Citi, you've got to think about the global implications, right? So we've seen emerging markets have a real problem here. Maybe Citi is the one that's going to be, the, that's going to be affected uh, by that the most. I mean, we saw Argentina today. A lot of big currency moves out there. Regionals. I mean, I think you stick with the regional banks. I think the deregulation is going to benefit them the most. And I think you're going to see M&A really continue to pick up. So I'd stick with that trade. And I think from a long-term perspective, it's probably the best alternative. Which some, ones look like they could be takeouts? So, so, so look, I, I mean, I'm not going to specifically identify takeouts in general. I'd like exposure just through the KRE. Um, but I, I think in general, they benefit the most from the dereg. And I think, again, there's going to be money put to work in that space. Well, one trader is betting on a big rebound for one of the struggling banks. Mike Coe's over at the Plasma. He's here I am. Yeah. So we saw about double the average volume in Wells Fargo today. We actually saw some interesting activity in Bank of America as well. And what we saw here, if we're taking a look at this, was an interesting trade going out to January of 19, selling the 50-45 put spreads to buy the 60-65 call spreads. Now, this trade took place when the stock was trading about $55. So what's going to happen is if the stock falls below 50, they're going to get long there. If it goes above 60, they're going to get long there. So they're going to end up getting nice profits, about 5 bucks. is traded 6,500 times. So basically, the idea is they're going to try to get long here or there and have protection on one side and then end up looking for a trade for the stock to get up to about $65 is their target. They're going to profit from here to here, and they can actually get net long here, but they're going to be protected by that lower put. So a bullish bet 6,500 times represents 650,000 shares in Wells Fargo. Question for the desk here. Mm-hmm. Show of hands. Who will be a buyer of Wells Fargo, even with all the potential regulatory overhead? On principle, no. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. No, no. How about you? I mean, at these levels, I'd say no. I'm not a buyer of the stock. So, Mike, where do you stand on that, seeing that activity and what the desk says here? Okay, so that, that's a really good point, because at this level, so think about this. Stocks trading 55 bucks, where they're going to get long, if it declines, it's down about 10% from where it's currently trading. And if it goes up, basically, that probably suggests that they've you know, cleared one of these hurdles to some extent. So they get long at 60. And I think that's one of the reasons why the option set up kind of interesting in this situation where maybe the stock isn't as much. All right. Thanks, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Love it. Full show. Coming up, check out shares of Adobe sinking after hours despite its huge gains this year. We'll tell you what the CEO just said on the earnings call right after this. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And a top strategist who called the decline in February has three predictions for the market's future. And one of them is not good. He'll be here. Plus, yeah, that's what crypto investors were doing today after a key ruling by the SEC. And a top Bitcoin watcher says it's just the start of more gains. We'll tell you which currency could be your best bet when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a big day for Bitcoin and Ether after the SEC said both cryptocurrencies are not securities. For more on what this means, let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. The SEC has been under mounting pressure to clarify if and under what circumstances 
cryptocurrencies and ICOs were securities and thus under the regulatory control of the SEC. Now, today, they went a long way toward providing clarity. Bill Hinman, the man in charge of developing the SEC's policy toward cryptocurrencies, said neither Bitcoin nor Ether were securities because they don't fit the definition of a security. An investment created if you are raising money from a centralized source for a project that people are investing in with the expectation of a profit. Now, regarding ICO... These are complex facts and circumstances tests, but when we look at Bitcoin or if we look at Ether and the highly decentralized nature of the networks, we don't see a third-party promoter where applying the disclosure regime would make a lot of sense. So we're, we're comfortable uh, in some uh, sort of viewing these as uh, items that don't have to be regulated as securities. Now, regarding ICOs or initial coin offerings, Hinman said the SEC would apply the same test. And while many ICOs are clearly designed to make a profit, others, he said, are not. People are buying it for investment and for a return and looking to that party for a return, then again, that's an indicia of a security. If you have, on the other hand, a token that's just used in the network for a good or service, and that's why people are buying it, and that service is available and up and running, uh, not under development, then you may not have a security. Now, in our interviews, Hinman specifically said that an ICO that was a simple membership, for example, in a golf club or a book club, was likely not a security. Finally, Hinman defended the SEC's strict application of the securities laws, saying many ICOs had misrepresented investment opportunities and that some were outright, outright frauds. Melissa, we have had the head of the SEC on, the head of trading, and now the chief policymaker on Bitcoin. The SEC is clearly moving to clarify exactly what their positions are. A lot has happened in just the past couple of weeks. Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani okay. at the New York Stock Exchange. Going back to, I don't know where you want to start because there's so many things that are very important about what the SEC said yeah. today that clears the way for, let's say, Ether. Right. right. To have futures. So that's instance. what we, you know, the CBOE at the same conference said uh, today that this clears one of the hurdles for them to have uh, futures on Ethereum. Think about it the other way. If you're an investment director at a pension fund or an endowment over the last year, you thought about allocating to this space. And now, and the first thing you say is, well, you know what? What if this thing is really an unregistered security? Well, I better not invest in it. Now that hurdle's gone. So this is really big news. It's a green light for cryptocurrency. It's a green light for crypto assets as an asset class. There's some clarity. I mean, how many times have I stood up at the smart board this year and said, what's hurting Bitcoin? What's hurting Ether? Regulatory, uh, regulatory and clarity. We have clarity now. It's very clear when these are securities, when they're commodities. We also have clarity now on utility tokens, right, right. versus other sorts of ICOs. But the interesting thing about this, though, is we've talked to Asif Hirji many times um, of Coinbase about when he would list other coins. And the sticking point had always been whether or not these coins are securities mm -hmm. or not securities. Now that we have that clarity, if they do list utility tokens, are those worth the investment even? Well, it depends what, yeah. I mean, it depends what if the utility tokens for, to be right? used within that network. But then they, well, then but, they should be I mean, securities. No, not necessarily. I mean, it's like saying that if I buy a bottle of wine, right, should that be a security? Because I think that the bottle of wine is going to appreciate in price over the next couple of years? Not really. Well, my understanding, well, though, is what, is what they're saying is if the expectation is that I'm buying something that I think is going to go up in value 
then, in fact, it's security. But if I'm buying something that's purely a utility, then it's not. But the no, it's, it's the third-party test. 95% of, these, of, of the, the, the trading in, in, in ICOs is all for, for... I would think of it more... To me, I look at it more as they go trading. from a security to a commodity, to a commodity, similar to we speculate in oil, we speculate right. in gold, right? Mm -hmm. And so if it's used primarily to operate the system and you don't have a third party that you're relying on to make money that is simply a speculation, then that is more like a commodity than it is a security. What does that mean for like an XRP? An XRP, from the way I understand yeah. it, it's a technology solution that you don't necessarily need to use the coin to transact on the platform. So what happens to an XRP? How does a ripple so XRP, I think, is still in, in limbo here. And there is a case on XRP right. on whether or not it's going to be a security. And I think we're going to have a to wait for that. Case. Yeah, yeah, a lawsuit. lawsuit. I'm sorry. Yeah. A lawsuit on whether or not XRP is a security. I think for that particular coin, we're going to have to wait on it because there's a relationship between ripple the coin and ripple the company. We can argue about what, how, what, how close that is, but that's the sticking point. Is there any trade in your view in terms of some of the coins that are there that were struggling in regulatory limbo and may now be considered commodities and so then may yeah. be listed on Coinbase and may get that pop? I mean, the easiest is Ethereum, right? That's what's been overhanging this entire thing is, was Ethereum a security? Very clearly said it's not a security. Yeah. So that to it's me the is the best there. one. Um, our next guest used to manage over $7 billion at Goldman Sachs before leaving to start a passive crypto index fund. Christopher Matta is a co-founder of Crescent Crypto Asset Management. He joins us for his Fast Money debut. Chris, welcome to the show. Great Thanks to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, you left when? Last year? Last fall. Last fall. So it was yep. just before the huge run-up. Yeah, exactly. So at the time, uh, the space was really starting to grow. Uh, it went from being uh, a personal hobby to being a full-time focus. Um, and at the time, there weren't really any passive players in the space. There were a handful of active managers charging 2 and 20 or 3 and 30, very high fees. And we had demand just in our own networks being known as the crypto guys. Um, at Goldman. At, yeah. at Goldman. We had demand from colleagues, friends, uh, and other people in our network for a really complexity-free product that they wanted to get diversified exposure to the space. So it was kind of the perfect timing. Is there diversified exposure to this space since so many of them are correlated? Yeah, so there's there's various levels of correlation between these coins, but holding a basket of, of 20 versus just holding Bitcoin, you're going to get better absolute and risk-adjusted returns in a, because of that diversification benefit that you get. So even though it's it, each coin may be incremental, it's still better than holding just something like Bitcoin. Your drawdowns will be less, less volatility. Um, withholding a diversified basket. How important was the SEC and what they decided today when it comes to uh, Ether, when it comes to utility tokens, to what you do? And when you take a look at the 10% pop in Ether or the 6% pop in Bitcoin on the news, do you think, I would think that the cryptos would be up even more based on that? Yeah, I think people generally had a sense of what the feeling was with Ethereum. I think there was some still murkiness around that. Um, so I, I think we've been in kind of this regulatory, this regulatory uncertainty for six months now. And this is just one piece of a broader picture, right? There's still the custodian question. There's still uh, questions around exchange-traded products, which really need to be answered before uh, more institutions feel more comfortable and get into the space in an, in an easier way. And exchange-traded products are something that we're really focused on as, as a big catalyst in the space over the next year or two. Hey, Chris, so you have this basket of 20 currencies. How do you decide what to put in that basket? Is it simply just market cap weighted? Yeah. And over the, do you see that changing over time? 
Yeah, we wanted to create something that was future-proof. So there is a market cap weight, but it's a 90-day average to really smooth the volatility. You see some of these coins explode in value and jump into the top 20. They really need to sustain that value to be to prove themselves, I guess, as a, as a real true investment. So it needs to meet that threshold to stay in the portfolio. We also have controls around liquidity measures. It has to meet certain thresholds and be available on multiple exchanges that are available here in the United States. And actually, custody is, is a big piece for us. We, we won't hold a coin that you can't hold in cold storage. So, uh, you know, funds, we want to make sure that, that people are able to store these in the safest way. As you constantly hear about these exchange hacks, uh, we don't want our clients or, or the index to really be taking that risk. So you started uh, your fund in the fall, and you saw the huge run-up, and times are great. Everybody wanted in. And then you saw the big decline. Have you yeah. seen people want out? And how has that been managing investors? I mean, everybody wanted to start a crypto fund, and now it's like, who wants to start a crypto fund? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's definitely been, thankfully, we do a lot of education up front, I think is a big piece. We explain to people this is a really long-term investment. It's, we're looking at a two- to five-year-plus time horizon and I don't think the bull thesis has changed at all. You know, you saw a lot of volatility, but uh, there was a bit of a mania at the end of last year, and now the regulators have started to step in. But I think long term, their, their tune has been pretty bullish. Uh, so our clients thankfully understand that. We told them when they were coming in, you know, this could be down 50% tomorrow. It could be up 300% next week. You have to hold this for, for a longer term. And, and people that understand that allocate appropriately in their overall portfolio to this asset class, understand that and, and will ultimately do well. So you left, and, and that was just about the time that Goldman had indicated that it would start its own crypto trading desk. Yeah. So I'm wondering what, what the thought process is in terms of staying within a big firm, because it seems like more and more big firms are, are looking at this path. And so people at the firms might be thinking, oh, do I stay here to be in crypto or do I go out on my own? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of opportunity uh, to start your own your own business and launch your own fund or, you know, like you said, you, you kind of saw an explosion of funds last year. And I think that's toned down a little with the pullback in the market. Um, I think it's going to be a little longer before there's a lot of crypto positions available at a place like Goldman, right? That desk is, is kind of just starting. Uh, I don't think they're hiring hundreds of people. They're hiring a few select people for that. So I think you're still going to see entrepreneurs going into the space, trying to take advantage of the opportunities. Right. And seeing what crypto has done, experiencing it, um, in a front row seat, yeah. Chris, would you put your mother's, would you put your grandmother's money into the funds that you have? Yeah, absolutely. And it's all really? about sizing appropriately. So even if you're the most conservative investor out there, right, just because there's a lot of volatility, the actual risk adjusted returns are, are quite good relative to other asset classes. So for my grandma, I might put in half a percent of her portfolio. That's her downside is half a percent. But her upside you might get 10x, uh, you know, over the next five years. And that would be a great diversifier for her portfolio in general and, and a, a good investment overall. It's, it's generally been uncorrelated, and that will probably continue for a little while. Um, and that's, that has huge diversification benefits in a broader portfolio, even if sized in a small way. Do you have a grandma in crypto? Uh, <laughs> I don't have a grandma okay. in crypto. Okay. Parents. Parents in crypto. Parents. Parents in okay, crypto. very good. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Matta. I went to high school with his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> really? He's like nine Wait. years old. Look at him. He's fantastic. 
kidding around. I'm kidding around. Little lady from Pasadena. So, so what's interesting about what Chris is talking about? He's getting also into fund structure. And you know, as a, as a former hedge fund guy, you know, the, the question ultimately comes down to liquidity and and what is a lockup. And and we're talking about assets that at times have no liquidity. And so our fund managers locking people up, Brian. I mean, what, you know, what's no, the story here? I, listen, and, liquidity's got a lot better. The hedge fund world's changed so much. And yeah, I mean, it's it's changed a lot. I mean, what we do, what I do every day is I monitor what our positions are, how much liquidity is there, and I will cap the fund size depending on what the market's right. doing. Liquidity has improved a lot over the last six months. But to your point, you know, there are, if, if you get too big of a position in an illiquid coin, it can be an issue. I mean, you know, Chris's point about, you know, let's say a half percent, one to five percent allocated to this uh, asset class, I think is appropriate. It's highly risky. It's like it's similar to liquid venture capital. So you have to understand the risks. But it's also an emerging asset class. So there's a lot of return possible. In it. I'll ask you the same question. Do yeah. you have a grandma in your ETF? Uh, do I have or, a grandma? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure we have grandmas in the ETF. No, no, but yeah, I mean, like in the fund? family. Yeah, and, uh, well, we have family for sure. Yeah. Um, yes, in fact, we do. We do have a grandma. Okay. My, my, my mother's a grandmother. I, I thought it'd so. be fair and ask yeah. the same question. <laughs> right. Still ahead, check out shares of Adobe sinking in the after hour session. The stock is up nearly 50% this year, but could the run be coming to an end? The traders will weigh in, plus the stocks inch closer to record highs. Top strategist at Wells Fargo, Chris Harvey, has three major predictions for the second half of the year. You won't want to miss it. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Adobe. The stock is sinking in the after-hour session. Let's get to Josh Lipson in San Francisco for the details. Hey, Josh. Melissa, you know, the stock heading into this print was up nearly 50% year-to-date, but we are giving some back here in the after-hours. Kind of a mixed Q3 outlook, better than expected uh, on the bottom, but basically just in line here on the top. On the company's conference call, though, the CEO, Shatnu Narayan, sounding an upbeat tone, especially about that digital media business. Take a listen. In our digital media business, we achieved strong growth in both creative and document cloud revenue in Q2. We continue to drive steady adoption of creative cloud subscriptions and services by individuals, teams, and enterprises across all segments and geographies. This resulted in another strong quarter for creative cloud now, he also talked, uh, Melissa, about the digital experience segment, talked about what he said was strong bookings across the marketing, analytics, and advertising offerings. And Magento also coming uh, uh, up a lot on the call. That was that e-commerce company that they uh, bought for $1.7 billion. Uh, Shantino Ryan says that's going to make them the only company, he says, with leadership in content creation, marketing, advertising, analytics, and now commerce, says uh, Magento will close next week. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Despite tonight's move, check out the uh, Cloud Socks. They're all flying high this year. Adobe and Amazon up 47%. Names like Salesforce, Workday, Microsoft, all up double digits as well. So is your best bet in the tech, in the clouds here. Seberg. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I love the story. I mean, I love the cloud space in general. I think this miss tonight, or you can call it a miss, call what you want, is just really an expectations myth, miss, if you will. It doesn't derail the narrative here, and the narrative is strong. So I look at it and say the sector is incredibly strong. Uh, you know, the reoccurring revenues that, that these companies are able to achieve now versus licensing revenues, that shift in the model has been super powerful, and I think it continues. So I would be a, a buyer of any weakness on this print and in the other sectors as far as any or in any of these other names on week. Not all cloud stocks are created equally. Some operate, yeah. right, they sell software in the cloud through subscriptions and others operate uh, actual cloud services. Well, there's commoditized ones and, right. and, and there's ones that actually, in the case of Adobe, I think, look, their creative group is, is their breadwinner. 
Um, and I think if you look at Adobe, I mean, this stock is, just continues to crush it. Guy's been on this name for a long time. It's, it's gone up, you know, two, two and a half times in the last three years. And, and ultimately, these numbers weren't great. They beat on FX. They beat on taxes. They had slightly worse OPEX. And I think those are things that would concern people. Have we crossed this bridge before where Adobe reports a fine quarter, they sell it's off, funny, and, then you you say say, and then you say, mm -hmm. I would buy it the next so day? The, the is that what? That's the bridge. And at a certain point, we're going to be wrong. At a certain point, valuation is going to matter. But the, the trend has been now for the last couple of years, big run-up in earnings. They report. People get worried about valuation. Maybe they're not making the metrics they're looking for. They sell the stock off. Two weeks later, it's an all-time high. The number you need to look at here, again, Josh mentioned it, digital, digital media revenue growth was up 25%, blew away that number. So despite valuation, and Dan Nathan is texting me, and I know Dan's watching right now. He's like, you're going to do that whole Adobe shtick? Oh, yes, Dan, I'm going to do the Adobe shtick. He watches, wow. Dan. Yeah. He just texted me and said he loves the fifth dimension. He was appreciating that we played that song. Marilyn McCool. Well there will be much more on Adobe <laughs> coming up on Mad Money tonight. Uh, and take a look. Jim on the Kramer cam, sitting down exclusively with the company's CEO. You can catch that at the top of the hour. Plus, want to know the secrets to success, the winning lottery numbers, or how about where stocks are heading through the end of the year? Well, the top strategists from Wells Fargo may be, may be able to answer those questions, maybe not all of those questions, but at least one of them. We'll have that right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Do you want a, the winning lotto numbers today? What if you got tomorrow's headlines today? Sound too good to be true, right? Well, our next guest is here with one of those things. Not lottery numbers. <laughs> Joining me now, Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy. And Chris, you just published a fresh note out um, with your big market predictions for the rest of the year. So let's get right to them. The first one here, um, your headline prediction reads, growth beats value. Correct. Why is that? Well, when we look at value, there's not enough value in value. And things that are cheap are cheap for a reason. And when we look at growth of growth, the quality is much better. We have organic growth. We have pricing power. You look at the growth of value, it's about tax and tax reform, and the quality is not that great. And then when we look at flows, we're seeing money flow out of value, and we're seeing money go into growth. And the last thing is the C word. We haven't seen capitulation with value. Until we see that capitulation, we're still in the growth camp. What are you looking, in terms of, looking for in terms of capitulation and value? So it's hard to say exactly, but what we want to hear is when we go into value managers, sometimes I have to bring a box of Kleenex because it's a very difficult conversation. Oh, yeah. And what, I'm, what I want to hear is people just throwing in the towel. What I want to see is more money come out of the space. And what you see is sometimes you just see those, those gapping days down or those big liquidations. Once we see that, we think the price is cleared, you've had a repricing of risk, and then you can start to get involved in value. But until then, we're still in the growth camp. All right, here's the next headline. You see Powell strangles the rally. This is above the fold. So how does this come to fruition? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's start with the market is beginning to rally again. And good news is the market is reacting to good news. So you have good earnings come out, and the stock market's going up, and, and stocks are reacting to that. But what we worry about is good news becomes bad, that the news becomes so good that Powell has to, the Fed really has to get in motion. The Fed becomes a lot more hawkish, and that takes a lot of monetary accommodation off the table rather quickly. In addition to that, that can flatten the curve, and we think that starts to choke off the rally, or it really puts a ceiling on the rally. This is a prediction for this year or for, for the, next year? Because it uh, feels like this year he's already telegraphed pretty much what he is going to do this year. Well, if the numbers come in a lot stronger, and, and again, when you put monetary and fiscal policy together, it's a very potent cocktail. So I want to see what 2Q numbers look like. And, and the Fed is now saying the economy's strong. And one thing I say is um, the Fed and... and and talking about the economy, they never tell you that the economy is strong. They're always late to the party. 
And for them to say that the economy's strong, you know that it's rather strong. Okay, let's get to uh, the last one. You say crypto cat is out of the bag. What do you mean by this? So back in December, we were worried about speculation in the crypto market. Crypto markets went parabolic. There, to us, there appeared to be a lot of froth in the marketplace. And what we were worried is if that froth came out of the marketplace, it would spill over to equities. Mm -hmm. Now, we can argue about causation, but what we did see is froth come out of the crypto market, equity markets roll over earlier this year. And for us, as we look forward, a lot of that froth is already done. It's already out. In addition to that, what we had from a lot of the semiconductor companies and a lot of the tech companies is a lot more transparency. This is what our cryptocurrency exposure is. And now you can start to price it in. And so as we look forward, we think crypto is really a non-event for the equity market. Before, we thought it was a big risk. Now we think it's a non-event. Do you look at it at all anymore for <laughs> guidance or no? Because we, before we, you, had, you had been. We were, we were looking at it a lot. We were looking yeah. at it on a daily basis. Now we look at it just to see what's going on. But it's really less and less every day. Right. You guys have a question over there, Tim? Yeah, I, I guess, Chris, ultimately, you start to get at this, Mel, when you ask the time horizon. Because, you know, for me, the Fed, it really is something that eventually they will strangle this. So, Chris, make this very clear. Is, is, are we all safe second half 2018? Right. So what I would say is we have to see 2Q numbers. If 2Q numbers come in very strong, what we worry about is in September, they start to ratchet up the rhetoric. The commentary starts to come out. The market moves before that. The curve really starts to flatten. And, and then people start to worry hey, the Fed is in motion. The Fed is going to choke this off. We've got a ceiling on the market. All right. Here's a twist to all these headlines. We're going to vote. The desk is going to vote on which mm. predictions they agree with the most. So, uh, Tim, why don't we kick it off with you? Okay. I, I, hopefully I didn't make this too complicated, but I've got number one over number two. I think growth will outperform value, I think, in this stage of the cycle. It has been proven. I think the Fed will choke us in 19, but not 18. So, number one. You know, wake, uh, stop. You, know, you, God, play the game. Like you can't maze. even play this game right. <laughs> It is true. All right, so you go <laughs> ahead, big boy. No, Dave, you got to go in order. Hey, Otherwise, hey, just screw the game. Sorry. I mean, I, I graduated the first grade here, so I got it right. I think here, growth beats value, I think, is the, is the play here. Look, I love crypto. I think crypto is going to continue to do well. I think there's some regulatory you know, hurdles that have gotten out of the way, but I think the institutional community needs to come in for that really to have the next leg up. Growth beats value, in my opinion. BK. Well, BK hearts crypto. And I actually agree. I think that the it was a coincidence that crypto and the stock market traded together towards the end of the year. I think that correlation's broken. So I think his prediction's already come true. Guy. Powell strangles rally, Mel. At the end of this year, I think you're going to set a three rate hikes next year. You're going to get four. I think that's going to be the death knell. I played it right, Tim. I was just looking for a number. Right. We're, yeah. we're just looking for a number. Right. You number? said number two. Interesting predictions, Chris. We'll see. Thank you. Thank you, Chris Harvey. All right, still ahead. It is an Amazon takeover. CNBC.com reporting that the company is making some big changes to the C-suite at Whole Foods. We've got all the details. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Amazon's Whole Foods. Let's get to Seema Modi in the newsroom for the details. Seema. Melissa, according to CNBC sources, Amazon is playing a proactive role in its effort to revamp Whole Foods, placing key Amazon executives inside Whole Foods to carry out Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos' vision, while Whole Foods CEO John Mackey is said to have taken a back seat. In fact, some high-level Whole Foods executives have left, and Amazon is said to have even altered relationships with key suppliers. Back to you.
All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi in the newsroom. With that alert on Whole Foods, Seberg? It's only a matter of time. I mean, you know, they got their nose under the tent. Look, it's, it's amazing. I think this Whole Foods acquisition is going to turn out to be a very, very, very positive acquisition for Amazon. And I think watch out Walmart. I think Walmart is at risk here. 53% of their business is grocery. I think Whole Foods is knocking on their door and going to make, that, make it very difficult for them from a market share perspective. Is that what's wrong with Walmart this year? What's wrong with Walmart is Walmart's actually getting away from what makes Walmart, you know, Walmart. It's all about price competitive. I, like, I think the fresh foods part of their business, the consumables business, is very important to them. I think they're not worth this e-commerce valuation. So, yeah, I think Walmart is, is, is challenged, and I agree. I think Whole Foods was a smart acquisition because it gets them into consumables. It gets repeat purchases over and over again. It's perfect for Prime. Good for them. Yeah, well, the problem with Walmart this year is last year they had a much better narrative. Last year they were developing their e-commerce. They were developing their online store. That's already been developed. So if you look at Walmart maybe versus something like a Target who is just ramping that up, Walmart doesn't have that story anymore. So, you know, I'd rather be in something like a Target. Check him out. Playing, he just did no. his own Wood Your Mouth. Yeah, so that's going to happen. I mean, we're making fun of me in the games tonight. It wasn't my best game, Mel. All right, just to right, be clear. I've been who better. Who wins in grocery? Who loses in grocery? Who wins in grocery? No, who loses? Everybody thinks Amazon's going to win. I think, well, I think Walmart could lose. I think Kroger's too cheap. And I think Target, if you like Walmart at current valuation, you have to like Target it there. So I think the problem with Walmart last year had a huge run up in got over its skis in terms of valuation. Mm -hmm. For the full story on how Amazon is taking control of its Whole Foods acquisition, log on to CNBC.com right now. Up next, Final Trades. Write them down. Time for the Final Trade, Tim. Yeah, Mexican cement, and we've got a birthday boy in the house. Oh, who is that? I don't know. Uh, Seberg, it's not you. It's not it's me. Trade. It's thrown it around. My, my trade's Adobe. Buy Adobe uh, on the weakness after the print. Happy birthday, BK. Oh, oh, it's birthday. Well, it well, happy Flag Day to everybody, too. Check out gold today, right? We had that massive move in the dollar, and what did gold do? It went up. Very unusual. You buy that. Hmm. BK, the same birthday as United States Army. Proud yeah. America. And Flag Day. And Flag Day. Sure it and is. The and the president. And the president. That's right. It's a fricassee. You know what else is? Cypress Semi. Cowan initiated coverage back in May. $21 price target up on a day where semis were down. Wow. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money starts right now. Happy birthday, BK. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.